G'day folks, welcome to Pause and Listen, a podcast series brought to you by Big Dog Pet Foods, the leading pet nutrition provider in Australia with over 20 years of experience in the pet industry. We provide educational resources for pet parents and are proud of being transparent in everything we do. The podcast series is hosted by me, Johnny Manning, and we bring you interviews and deep dives into pet nutrition, pet care, training, and regular Ask a Vet segments. So thanks for tuning in. Now get your tails wagging and we'll get yapping. Good day, pet owners, fair parents and lovers of all creatures, great and small. Welcome to Pause. And listen, this is a Big Dog Pet Foods podcast. It's a place for you to come to find out all manner of pet-related information. My name is Johnny Manning and I'll be your chaperone through today's chat because today I'm speaking to Vet creative director and founder of Shy Tiger, owner of Mont Albert Veterinary Surgery in Victoria, the one, the only, one of my favourite sparring partners when it comes to these conversations, Dr. Nicole Rouse. Good day, evening, morning. Nobody knows what time it is, Dr. Nick. That's the mysterious thing of these pre-recorded podcasts. It can be any time. No one knows. I love it. Good day, Johnny. Nice to nice to see you. I love this little virtual world we live in. I love sparring with you and looking forward to today's topic. Yeah, absolutely. Well, in in you know, this little virtual world we, we coexist in here, this um, world of vid podcasts and podcasts, we do tackle all sorts of interesting topics and we've had some pretty heavy topics, but this is a heavy topic that we're going to chat about today, <laughs> isn't it, Dr. Nick? That was, that was good. Oh, actually, you were leading me right along that joke. I didn't even predict it until you actually hit <laughs> the punchline. I love it. It is a, it's a heavy topic, but gosh, it's a common one, isn't it? It is. So, yeah. We're going to talk about obesity in pets, and it's something that has probably crept up on us as a society, but Dr. Nick, the... The research tells us that it's really common. Really common. And it's really interesting. It seems to be following the same trends in humans. So we know, well, we may or may not know, but what the stats are saying is that two-thirds of the Australian population sit in that, in the human world, sit in the overweight category. Two-thirds. Two-thirds, yeah. Wow. One-third obese, so there's that difference between overweight and obese. So two-thirds overweight. Uh, and in our pets, we're looking at about the same in cats and dogs, and it's at about 60% of our pets are overweight. It's huge. It's really, really common. Okay, so let's say my dog weighs 15 kilos. My dog should weigh 15 kilos. How do I know hmm. if my dog is overweight? What What are the indicators here, you know? What... What do I, well, firstly, what's, what's, what's the, what's the measurement? You know what I mean? How do we know? Yeah, it's a good question because I think a lot of times people will like Google weight of a Jack Russell or average weight of this or that. And we know that there's such a spectrum with um, breeds these days. So you can't sort of guess what the weight of your pet should be based on their breed or their size or, or anything like that, we need to do what's called a body condition score. Yeah. And this is what vets will do to determine if your pets are at the correct weight. And and we do this and we give them a, a rating. There's two systems. One's either out of five or one's out of nine. doesn't matter which one is. You can Google body condition score um, and you basically want to sit midway. That's your, that's your sort of aim. And, and so the way we do that is a few different ways. My favourite one, I love teaching pet parents because I have to say every single day in clinic I tell someone that their pet is overweight and they are surprised. Lots of people are not surprised, but so many people do not know how to body condition score their pet and do not realise their pets are overweight. So my favourite trick is to put your hand along their chest and feel their ribs so run, if they're standing up, run your hands along the side of their chest and feel their ribs. You should be able to feel their ribs, right? You shouldn't be just feeling fat. If you have to push in too much, it's too much. 
So, and this is consistent from breed to breed. So this is for dogs. This is an easy one for dogs. Run your hands on the chest, feel the ribs. You can have a light covering of fat, but you shouldn't be pushing in. You're going to go home and do that to your dog tonight, aren't you, Absolutely, yeah. I can see you taking notes. (laughs) So that's my favourite way because I feel like that is the most consistent way that people can monitor it and I find that's the easiest way. Other things we look at doing is we'll look um, along the back line and you're looking for that kind of curve, like that tuck in behind the ribs. But I find that one's a little bit tricky with some breeds because you've also got the long-haired dogs and they just look like a ball of fluff whether they're – you know, especially when they've just had a bath. And then you've got some other breeds like Staffies and stuff that just don't really They're a bit they chunky, just don't, It doesn't right? really work for them. They, they are a little bit chunky or, or chonky, we often say, just as a bit more flattering. <laughs> it's like cute chunky. Um, and they can be a little bit tricky. And then you, But you do want to see some sort of tuck. If you're not getting any tuck behind the ribs, we've got issues. And then the other thing is if you run your hand along their back, you should be able to feel a spine okay. to some degree. If you can't feel a spine, you can just feel fat. Again, we're too fat. So, But the ribs for me is the, is the gold standard of how to really monitor um, over time that, you know, your pets sort of manage their weight and, and see sort of how you're tracking with it. So that, that's a pretty stock standard one-size-fits-all uh, test, right? Now, that, yeah. that, that's going to test probably for, for a pet owner, you'll be able to know if your dog is considerably overweight, but you probably won't be able to tell if your, do- your dog is a little bit overweight, right? Is it, you know yeah, what I mean? that's a bit trickier. Yeah. Body, body condition score that you were talking about? Mm. Is, yeah. Is that kind of like a BMI for a dog? Yeah. it's That's as good as we've got. We don't, as a profession, we're trying to encourage a little bit more of a um, consideration about muscle tone and things as part of a body condition score. So we're trying to not just focus on fat, Um but I, at this point in time, all we've got, it's our closest to a, to a BMI, I guess, in pets. Uh, it's not perfect, but gosh, it's better than doing nothing. And I, I would encourage all pet owners to really have a good relationship with their vets. Vet nurses are fantastic at it. All vet clinics have scales. Like, it's a great opportunity to pop into your vet clinic, establish a good relationship where you're not just going in when they're sick and just pop in, get a weight, get a treat, and ask one of the nurses just to body condition score your, your pet. Like it, you know, maybe the cat won't like the voluntary visit, but it's so good for the dogs to go in and have a little impromptu visit. Um, maybe go on at lunchtime when they're often a little bit quieter, but what a great opportunity to do something good for their health and keep a good relationship with your vet. That's a great tip. And, and the, the body condition score for the cat is pretty similar. Yeah, it is pretty simple, similar. The trick with the cats, you know how they get the hang at the bottom of their, like you see cats running along yeah. and they've got that, yeah, that little, yeah, so that little um, fat pouch. And I have actually had clients book cats in for for an examination because they're worried about that little fat pouch. Yeah, right. Um, so the cats can be deceptive because you can have a slim cat and still have that fat pouch. Um, so, but yeah, it's the same principle. You're looking for the ribs, you're feeling the ribs and you're feeling for a bit of coverage. It's a little bit, just what we're talking about, it's a little bit trickier in puppies to do this because puppies don't have that same level of fat covering and kittens as adults do, a bit like humans really. And so you will often, for me, the right body condition score on a puppy, I'll actually even see their ribs. Yeah, so okay. I'll, I'll be able to sort of see that light. Picture like a, um, a Ridgeback or a GSP or something as a puppy and you can just see that light silhouette of the ribs yeah. and that's really normal and I would much rather keep a growing large breed puppy on the leaner side of normal than on the heavier side. So I think if in doubt, lean them down a little bit and then sort of work back from there because you do taking the pressure off those growing joints and things is, is really important. And sometimes those puppies look like they're wearing gloves with all that skin, you know, all the rolls and wrinkles and everything. You look at like a a um a, a a basset hound puppy, like it's just got yeah. these short legs yeah. and all these rolls over it. It's amazing. Um, okay, so 
we we spoke about I, I guess um, how to tell and then you know what what specific tests you can do. Now we know mm. in humans what the health impacts of being overweight or being obese is. What are the impacts in our pet? Is it pretty much the same? Can we just cut and paste those health issues for humans and into a a box for our pets? We, we definitely can cut and paste them, a lot of them, like your cardiovascular health, your organ function, all those things can be cut and pasted from human sort of research and evidence. But I guess a couple of things that really hit hard for me, they've done some studies to show that pets that are overweight will actually live a 20% shorter lifespan oh, than wow. their counterparts to maintain good weight. So. It, that's really horrible to think that we, you know, in some ways are kind of killing them with kindness, but I guess that should be a really good motivation to get your pet in a good body condition score so they live a longer life. Like that has to, you know, we want them to live with us forever, don't we? That has to be the number one driver to improve their health and to maintain that body condition score so they're with us longer. So that's really, really important for me. Um, and then I guess the other thing for me that I feel is very different to humans is just the inability of our pets to really share with us how much they're struggling. So we know that obesity is going to put extra pressure on their joints. It's going to make exercise more challenging. Um, you know, they're going to be prone to things like pancreatitis, fats accumulating in their liver, take your pick, all these things. That makes a really sluggish life with a bit of extra pain. And if we can just control the controllable, remove those influences that they don't need to live with, I think just anything we can do to improve their quality of life. And I know it does sound simple just improving their, their body condition score, but I think with the right system in place, you really can do wonders. I've never met a pet that I couldn't reduce its weight and, and get it to a good body condition score. So, and I, I just think it's it's amazing what we can do for them. Right, they don't have to deal with willpower issues that we do. Oh, I, I, you know, I don't really feel like going to the gym today, and I'm driving past the drive-through. I'm just going to get dinner there. Dogs don't have that issue because we can actually just set the routine with what they're eating and, the, and their activity, and they'll just do it. They will, they will, but I, I guess you probably would have quite a few Labrador owners that would say to you, if you've got a Labrador that's like, you know, it's 5.01 p.m. and they're losing the plot because they get fed at 5 o'clock, um, <laughs> and, you know, they know if you've cut their portion by 25%, and every time you walk to the cupboard, they're there, they're looking at you, they're begging. That's really challenging, and... Our language with our pets is love, isn't it? That's how we communicate. So if you turn around and say to people, you reduce that language of love by reducing their portion, by stopping the treats, and I will rarely, when I'm creating weight reduction strategies, I very rarely cut treats because that is our love language. And it's like me saying to someone, punish your dog. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and so that doesn't work. So I think even though we... We don't have to deal with the willpower of the gym and things like that. In some ways, it's just as challenging, but it's a different set of challenges, I think, for, for pet parents. And, um, yeah, it's, I, I think it takes an emotional toll on a lot of pet parents. Yeah. it's. Uh, I think that you, if you put it that way, it certainly would. I mean, you're right about the whole treats. You know, you need to be able to reward your dog for being incredibly cute and amazing, right? Yeah, absolutely do, absolutely do. But we can definitely still do it with um, with good food. So I will often, my, like the easiest trick that not everyone thinks about is just to portion out the food. So if you know that you have to feed 450 grams a day, that is your dog's portion of food, then put aside 150 grams of it for their, um, their treats. And so that you know that you're not adding to their daily portion, you just displacing it in a different way and you're using it um, in a different way rather than going and getting a pack of gross who knows what's in it treats from the supermarket yeah. and adding that just because you want to feed it um, just just portion it out it's a classic it's a classic trick so otherwise just try and con your dog into eating some veggies and things as treats okay so 
if we can copy and paste the, uh, I guess, the impacts of mm. being overweight from humans to our pets, can we pretty much copy and paste the causes as well? Yeah. Are they the exact same causes? And then part two to that question mm. would be then what you just spoke about. Can we just copy and paste the solutions? Is it all... Is it all really that, I'm not going to say that simple, but that illuminated? Yeah, it, interestingly, a lot of it is. It's probably one of the areas of uh, medicine that I think has a lot of similarities. So I guess the heartbreaking thing about, if you think about the modern, the modern dog compared to their ancestors and one of the factors of why we've got this obesity epidemic in in dogs like we do in humans uh, there's two really common main drivers to obesity that we see with both of us number one is carbohydrates we as a human population have a huge carbohydrate intake and rubbish carbohydrates too like processed foods things like that same with our pets. A lot of 90% of the pets are eating kibble. That's their 50 to 60% carbs. I know I go on about this all the time. Okay, go but, on about it. <laughs> <laughs> but we know carbs turn into sugar. Sugar turns into inflammation. We know when the good old pancreas gets the carbs hitting and it's releasing its amylase and that's triggering insulin and that because you've got all this glucose around, that's all stimulating the the fat, you know, the energy, the fat to be stored in the fat cells and we're, we're getting, it's just this vicious cycle. Insulin is a real fat storage hormone that we don't need to encourage with this excessive carbohydrate. But you add to that the other massive compounding factor I think that's a real issue with humans and pets is the stress of our modern life as well. So when you're running around with these high cortisol levels, and that can happen with humans and it can happen with the, the anxieties through the roof in our pets these days. Like that study with separation anxiety that was done in America showed an over 700% increase yeah. post-COVID. It's crazy. So, And, and then cortisol is another fat storage hormone too. So we've got your insulin from your carbs, we've got the cortisol, and no wonder we're just storing fat left, right and centre and it's really hard to shift so, and I won't, look, I won't um, go on too much about these sort of prescription weight loss diets that are out there that I wouldn't touch with a barge pole because they're just full of carbs. It's a different sort of story in my mind. But yes, what you're saying before, if we then look at, well, what are we doing about it? Well, do you know what's become really popular in the sort of integrative space and, and what we're doing a lot with our pets is this whole keto style diet. So not, you know how a lot of people talk about keto yeah. sort of to, to lose weight and the principle for anyone listening is that the body normally uses glucose as energy. One of the, you know, we know that glucose is one of our big energy sources. Um, well, when we sort of fast or starve or however you want to do it, and we can go into that more detail and you're relying on ketones, where um, not only we're we doing amazing things for our liver and, and sort of detoxing and cleansing it, but we're changing the way all the energy works and we help burn fat a lot better. So um, I'm a really big believer in overweight pets, getting rid of the carbs like you would in humans and using high protein, high fat diets. As your energy sources, not carbs. Off the top of your head, could you think of a pet food that might suit that? <laughs> I don't know. So if you want, so I know we love, we love big dog and I, you know my pets eat big dog. So I would choose though a lean protein. So I would go with something like the single protein roux or, or a kangaroo based. Yeah. So pick your lean proteins. I tend to avoid uh, lamb because that's a fattier meat, and beef. So I'm, if I'm trying to create a weight loss regime, yeah. I'll pick a leaner, a leaner protein, and that's your game meats in general, just in case people are listening overseas and they can't have easy access to kangaroo. No, no, no. Well, uh, your local pet store, a big dog, single protein, kangaroo, no doubt, that's for sure. Um, okay. I know. <laughs> so ditch the carbs, choose the lean um, proteins. Yes. What about um, 
the gut biome. Now, obviously, if you're feeding your dog uh, an all-fresh uh, raw food diet, the gut biome's got to be healthy. But what about things like uh, probiotics? Yeah, look, I think that um, it's really hard for a lot of people to understand, I think, and it took me a long time to understand exactly the role of the, the bugs in the gut. But there's really interesting research now. And the, the bugs in the gut or your, your biome, they're helping with all the enzymes and the way you digest food. So the different balance in your gut really affects your metabolism, like has a huge impact on your metabolism. Um, it, it just biome's just fascinating. So absolutely, I would have all pets on, you know, full stop, but definitely all pets on a weight loss regime on a really good probiotic, really diverse biome so that they can help maximize the absorption of nutrients, clear toxins, just have like a really efficient metabolism and an efficient absorption of all of all their nutrients. So yeah, biomes, that's really important. The other thing um, I will sometimes, depending on what sort of weight loss regime I'm doing, how much I'm doing, over a period of time and when we're talking about weight loss we're aiming for one to two percent of body weight a week i think sometimes people have in their heads that the dogs can lose five kilos in a week and it's just so i guess you just have to really set your benchmark and your standards but say i've got a morbidly obese dog and i'm doing a weight a weight loss regime yeah i will actually implement some liver support too because it does put a fair bit of pressure yeah. on the liver going through that whole process so milk thistle things like that i'll, I'll often use those sort of products you, you, you talk about people expecting their dog to lose five kilos in a week that's what some people think they'll lose on their own weight loss mm-hmm. journey and i think that the, the realization in a personal weight loss journey is understanding that it's it's not about a short-term fix. It's about changing behavior, changing habits, uh, and changing, I guess, making lifestyle changes. But it's the same for your animal, right? So once you've made these specific changes in your dog's life, it mightn't be going for that you know, kangaroo or that lean protein the entire time, but you've got to be consistent with the changes you've made in your pet's lifestyle, right, with regards to whatever you're doing, whether it's, you know, a probiotic, um, removing the carbohydrates, you know, things like that, right? Absolutely. I think it's really important for you to sit down and think, okay, well, what can what's going to suit our, our household, whether there's kids, whether there's no kids, what can we afford to do, what can we commit to doing and, and make sure it's sustainable. And so that's for food, that's for, um, I guess, resources and access and, and also for time. Like there's no point in you saying, all right, for this next two weeks we're going to take the dog out for 40 minutes twice a day. We're booking in three sessions of hydro and right and then we've, we've lost the weight and then, oh, gosh, we're really busy. We can't actually maintain this. It's not going to actually work, is yeah. it? And I think we do that as humans too. You're much better saying, you know what, I'll do walks Monday, Wednesday, Friday. You can do a shorter walk these days. We can go to the pool hydro once a month or once a week and I can afford to feed my dog this and let's do it over two or three months and make it sustainable and we've created a beautiful long-term regime and it's much healthier for their bodies, isn't it? And and less stressful. Dogs like routine too, so you don't want to suddenly do anything too dramatic um, for them. Well, you just touched on, you know, your walks and your your hydrotherapy. What sort of a role does exercise play in the process of reducing, you know, excess body weight in dogs? And I guess the secondary question to that um, is is around sort of what intensity of exercise as well. So, you know, if we can go to, if I go to the gym, I can do a, I can go into the gym or go for a walk and I, oh, I didn't really push myself today but then I can go in there and absolutely blast myself and walk out pouring sweat, unable to lift my arms. So where's the sweet spot for our pets? Yeah, it's a good one. It's I, I mean, I don't think you can quite do the ladder in pets. There's some amazingly fit dogs out there. Yeah. But certainly for weight loss, I think it's just upping it that little bit. So I think just really practical recommendations rather than just going for a stroll, just go for a brisk walk, like just up the intensity that little bit more. 
just take it to that next level. So you've got to, you can feel your own heart rate going up a little bit. But really keep in mind that a lot of these pets with obesity actually have quite sore joints. So you don't, you want to make sure that we're providing them good joint support while we're doing this weight loss regime because they will keep walking, won't they? They're on the other end of the lead, yeah. but that's not really fair on them to just keep pushing them. So depending on how how overweight they are. I was almost about to say fat. I shouldn't be, don't want to fat shame. We cannot fat shame at all. Depending on how bad they are, um, you might, like sometimes you do have to consider a bit of hydrotherapy. If if they're quite severely overweight, sometimes you do need to take a bit of pressure off the joints and a bit of a underwater treadmill and that sort of thing. But obviously there's a cost associated with that. So I think, again, find what suits your your household, and I guess it depends on how urgent the weight loss is. Is it for a particular health condition or is it more just a lifestyle change where you can take your time? Maybe a little run at the beach in the water, like get your dog to walk through, take them down to the beach and go through shallow water. Or if your dog will tolerate it, fill the bathtub and get them to walk in the bathtub no. as well. Like there's, there's always a way around something, but it's really important not to just, um, I guess, <laughs> sort of take the opportunity or, or assume that because our, our dogs are walking that they're pain-free because they will just put up with stuff, won't they? They're, yeah. they're so tolerant. Uh, what, what, what about cats? You, you and I have talked about cats before and we've spoken about mm. what cats need in their own environment just to be healthy, let alone to potentially shed some excess kilos. How do we exercise yeah. cats? It's really hard. Yeah. <laughs> challenging so i think um firstly reducing stress with cats is a big one because as we're saying the cortisol levels uh i shifting diet in cats i know is a lot more challenging than dogs but it can be done i it's just a matter of understanding cat behavior so i think it would be my ideal scenario would be to switch them off the kibble high kibble diets or at least reduce the kibble in their diet because, again, as we're saying, it's 50 to 60% carbs. You look at a cat who would naturally take less than 5% carbs. Like that's a huge variation in what their optimal physiology is. Yeah. So we really need to drop the carbs. Um, but there's a really fun exercise things for cats. Lots of cats love these things called flirt poles where you can sort of, have you seen those like yeah. long sticks with their little things and, and play with them. Um, some people, if you've got a two-story house, like feed them at the top of the stairs rather than the bottom of the stairs. Um, you, so you can, I guess it's a little bit creative, being a little bit creative with your cat just for that incidental sort of exercise. Even training your cat, I've seen people train their cat to jump over their legs and things like everything they do is that kind of little bit of exercise. But at the end of the day, trying to get them off that high kibble diet is going to be the biggest changer for them. What about older dogs? that might be carrying a few extra kilos. How do we approach that? I mean, sometimes we'll probably, I'm going to put my hand up here. I it, I don't mind giving my dog a few extra treats now and I don't bust his chops because he, he probably carries an extra, I'm going to say two kilograms and he's about 24 kilos. So it's a, he's carrying a bit, a bit under 10% extra on his body weight, which is a lot. But he is old, he can't exercise like he used to, and he does love his food. So I don't tend to keep too much of a a problem with it because he's pretty healthy otherwise, you know. Um, are, are there ways we can gently do things with an older dog? And is it harder for an older dog to lose weight just like it's harder for an older person to lose weight? Yeah, look, absolutely. The ageing process is not kind on any of our metabolisms, is it? So I would definitely, first thing I would say, if your pet is over sort of seven and you've had a little bit of trouble losing weight, I'd say when you're at your next annual check with your vet or if you just want to anyway, make sure you get their thyroid levels checked because definitely thyroid can impact weight loss um, and it can have really interesting nuances in behavior like some sort of fear behavior so the thyroid's a bit of a funny hormone but it affects your metabolism so an underactive thyroid or hypothyroidism is what we will see in dogs that uh, have a 
that really struggle to lose weight. Whereas then you think about the opposite, the hyper, so the overactive thyroid, they're commonly those older cats that are really skinny, you know, the skinny older yeah. cats that vomit and they're meowing in the middle of the night. They're your hyperthyroid cats. So hypothyroidism is, um, depending on who you ask, it's relatively common in dogs. It's, it is a bit of a thing. So I definitely think it's worth getting that checked because it's really easy to treat. Um, so that's definitely something. What can we do for our older pets? Definitely joint support I think is a huge thing because I think that a lot of dogs get lazy as they get older because they're a bit sore. So you've got two things. First of all, you've got the increased prevalence in, in arthritis, so they get lazy because they're sore. And then the other thing is you get the increased prevalence in, and I shouldn't be talking to you this because you've got an old dog, but the canine cognitive dysfunction, the prevalence of um, the dog version of Alzheimer's is, is huge. It's really like, oh, I think I was reading a study the other day actually. It was like over 80% of dogs over 15, definitely, but even by like 12, about 60%, it's it's a lot. So I think then you've got this um, forgetfulness, A uh, there's like an acronym for it, but there's a disorientation, there's a change in interaction with the owners, you've got sleep disturbances. And so these all changes your normal function of everything doesn't it so that can definitely affect your sort of activity levels really i think that's a whole other podcast the alzheimer's in dogs <laughs> situation and and i've definitely noticed that cognitive decline in in my boys yeah it, it's a shame it's a bit of a sad podcast i don't know if i want to do that one it's a bit nah, sad it's, it's it, really it, it is sad but you know what it, it's um it's our beautiful little angels are the ones that are having to deal yeah. with it. So we, we need to we need to address it for them, in my opinion. Um, I think it's a, it's a really common, so yeah, yeah. things. But yes, it's, it's hard. What have you found worked for you? Like what, what do you find works for a like, little bit of extra activity? What sort of spurs yeah. him on? So uh, I think playing with him. So, well, <laughs> I'll give you a little glimpse into the, the Manning household. We'll... Um, We'll make little treasure hunts for him with treats on, on the back deck. Aww. So we'll place them around the back deck and he'll like to cheat. He'll like to come and see where we're putting them, but we'll keep him inside <laughs> and, we'll, and we'll break up little treats, you know, so they're, they're all over the place. And then because he's losing his eyes as well, he, he gets to sort of sniff around and we, we watch him and it, it kind of stimulates yeah. his um, – his brain a little bit as well and if he misses one we'll be like oh you missed one buddy and he'll do the course <laughs> a couple of times and then when he gets more we'll give him a big cheer and give him a big pat and tell, tell him how clever he is and if he's really missed one we'll, we'll either push it a bit closer or take it back to him but that kind of thing he um he, he, he's almost like a puppy again you know when you're doing yeah. that kind of thing so we know he does have that activity in him even when I come home from work, he he'll um, he'll sort of bounce and trot down the hall like he used to do when he was young. So I think it's those little things that help him forget that he's an old boy because getting out of bed, he's very slow and he's sort of looking like you know I'm an old boy, don't you? And I'm like I know, buddy. But then when you when you sort of remove his brain from thinking that he's an old boy, he becomes a a puppy again. So there's little things like that that we try and do just to you know keep him as, as active as we can, but I certainly don't push him too hard at all. Um, yeah. you know, yeah. and, and I'll be honest, it, it was a source of frustration for me there for a while when he started slowing down, but I've, I've really, um, started to be a bit more aware of, uh, of how I'm treating him. And, you know, he's over a hundred in, in dog years. So that's, mm. that's a pretty mm. good inning. So I think for me, we, we just sort of, you know, he, he eats big dogs, so he gets the best meal a dog can get. Yeah. Um, but we do give him s some treats as well. And, and as I said, if it's if it's in that way where it's a treasure hunt, I think that's good for him. Yeah, I love that. And I think you've really highlighted uh, one of and, – and there's research on this too with canine cognitive dysfunction. So you're doing this without even realising. But you've highlighted one of the impacts of the modern life on obesity, isn't it? Is that the stress and the cortisol. So by enriching their mental health, 
you're incidentally improving their brain function, but also their metabolism. So because you're reducing the cortisol levels, you're making them happier. So I think that's really, really good. Um, the other thing I love with older dogs is to encourage owners to implement a bit of stretching into their regime. Yeah. I find a lot of dogs as they get older um, get really sort of almost caught up or contracted in the front end. So if you stretch, and you can just Google videos of how to stretch a dog, but I stretch their front leg in line with their trunk and they in theory should be able to reach their eye level, most of them. But you find the older dogs, they can only sort of get halfway there. So I will hold the elbow and hold and stretch that for five seconds and give them a good rub. And I'll do the same with their hips. And I find just keeping them a little bit more Agile, again, makes just that movement that little bit better, that incidental movement more frequently moving, and it just helps those older dogs um, do all those little bits of exercise. But I'm a huge fan of uh, joint supplements and things as well with, with the older dogs. You, you touched on the, the mental health side of it um, prior, to, prior to talking about the stretching, which I'm a huge fan of the stretching as well. FYI. I think that's great. I um, you know, I probably don't do it as much as I should, but we've we've even had um, a dog masseuse come over and give Frank a couple of massages. But my my um, partner, she gives Frank these incredible massages around his joints and everything as well. He's very well, very well looked after. This boy, don't worry. But the the mental health side of it's a funny one. Now you mentioned you know separation anxiety. We've spoken about separate separation anxiety before. Mental health plays a part in the human obesity sector. And now we're, you're telling me it plays a part in the canine and feline obesity sector as well. This is becoming pretty staggering, the parallels, isn't it? It's no doubt. There are so many parallels. Cortisol is just, I guess it's the, it's the, modern, the modern life hormone that is just wreaking havoc with our with our bodies isn't it it's just it's really scary so you know we can't we can't control all of that but gosh we can control some of it and we can we can absolutely control its friend that's helping the the obesity epidemic the carbohydrates so yeah we do what we can do to make our lives a little bit easier shouldn't we yeah without a doubt now what about i know in in humans, everyone talks about intermittent fasting, two, two and five days or the 16 and eight hours. You talk about mm. doing these two-week detoxes, things like that. Is there any application for that in the pet world? Uh, not with cats, definitely not with cats. So I'll definitely um, start with do not fast your cat. It is not a good idea. They have a, a funny little liver system where basically you can send their liver into almost shutdown fasting wow. a cat. So don't leave that one cat. alone. Don't touch the cat. Dogs, different story. The research is getting better and better on this and it's really exciting. Uh, it's quite fascinating. So I would love to say I fasted and I love the idea of fasting. Uh, my husband's really good at it, but I just can't quite the talk about willpower, I can't do it. I would love the idea of eating in a six-hour window each day. Have you tried, do you do it? Have you tried it? So I, I have done intermittent fasting regularly, and I don't find it that the 16, the 16 hours and eight, so you start eating at midday, you don't eat after 8 yeah, p.m. Yeah. It, it's actually, that's actually quite easy. Let me tell you this. I once did a... Is it? Yeah, I don't yeah. know if it's easy. No, it is. It's actually quite easy. Um, I once did a five-day fast. Really? Yeah, I went five days. So I was having water, black coffee, black tea, and that was about oh it. My God. So I did five days. And on the second night, that was really hard. Almost, I felt like I was hallucinating on the second night. But it's funny, the more... I went through it. It's a double-edged sword. The longer it went, in one aspect, the easier it went, but in one aspect, the harder it went. Now, physically, it gets easier the longer you go. You, your body stops craving these things, but your brain keeps craving them. And maybe the, the brain intensifies those cravings. Does that make sense? 
It's, it just must be weird. So you can walk around okay, but you've got to fight the mental side of craving. I'm just worried that I'd start collapsing everywhere. No, I didn't collapse at all. You get these tremendous bursts of energy. So your body does these incredible things where, um, yeah. you know, you, you, you drop and then at a certain period you get this tremendous burst of energy and clarity. I felt like my brain got clearer and clearer the, the longer I went. And I also felt like a lot of inflammation in my joints. I mean, I'm a, I'm a broken down old footballer. A lot of the inflammation in my joints seemed to reduce. Yeah. I'm not going to say disappear, but reduce. Your, yeah. your stomach sucks back in towards your, your spine, which is a great feeling as well. Um, and I think my sleep got a little bit better as well after a few days. But, I mean, that's not something yeah. I would recommend anyone doing. Um, I did it no. because I like doing hard things. And it's not something that I would do in, with any sort of regularity. Yeah, it's about, would you do it again? Yeah, I would, but, you know, it's something I would do maybe twice a year. Yeah, wow. Yeah. So interesting, isn't it? There's, so there's definitely evidence um, that, and, and I recommend it the odd pet when I see them. I'll, I'll talk to owners about doing a, a fast and, in my mind, and there's different types of fasting. You can do like a starve starvation where you're essentially not feeding anything or you can do, which is my preferred model with pets, um, is a fast where you they need to be having at least less than 25% of their daily caloric intake. Right. So the classic way of doing it with pets would be to do like a bone broth sort of oh, fast yeah. where yeah. you're basically feeding them bone broth. Um, depending on the pet and depending on what they're doing, I will do it for like one to two days. So if I'm trying to, to liberate the liver of toxins and things like that. Liberate the liver. I'll do it. <laughs> liberate the liver. We love liberating the liver. Yeah. Um, so there is some evidence that it will, like as you're switching your energy source from glucose to ketones, you're going to liberate these toxins that are stored in the fat cells. And, yeah, that's that's a theory. But there is actually scientific research behind it. It's not just a theory. Most of the research is in mice and other species. There's some in dogs, but definitely with the research we've got and with the anecdotal evidence that integrated vets have, I wouldn't hesitate. I wouldn't obviously fast a diabetic and I wouldn't, fast all pets if they're a bit weak i wouldn't do it just because it's a little bit scary what you could do but it's good for um infection it's well i should say it's good for what are they what's that old saying um uh feed a cold starve a fever have you uh, heard of that yeah, one yeah, so yeah. Say, yeah absolutely yeah. there is actually some evidence behind that um because you get fevers with bacterial infections and you don't want to feed bacterial infections but a fever i've got that right haven't i yeah. feed a cold yeah fever so you you leave the bacterial infections alone but you feed when you've got a virus um anyway so it is good for infection it is good for maybe a bit of inflammation because it, remember how I think insulin uh, store, helps you store fat? Well, part of that, all that behaviour when you're releasing a lot of insulin is you're encouraging inflammation in the body. So it's pro-inflammatory, all those pathways. So when you're not eating, you're not stimulating a lot of insulin, so you're not creating all that inflammation. So it's a little bit anti-inflammatory. Um, and then the other thing is it kind of helps the body just to clean up everything, which is a lot of the, the cancer kind of theory about doing the fasting and the detoxing with cancer because you're almost, I guess I think of it like you're giving the body a break so that it's not focusing on digestion so it can go and do all the other cleaning in the house. Like a picture of like this <laughs> I always come up with the weirdest analogy sometimes, don't oh, I? I but I picture it like a cleaner, you know, and I sort of picture it like say you've got a cleaner and everyone's in the house and they're just getting busy trying to work around everyone, do everything. It's like you're being fed. But if the house all clears out, then the cleaner can go and do all the other jobs and get everything done and the place is amazing when you come back again. So... <laughs> There you go. That's tonight's analogy. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, I, I'd, I'd also, it would probably be smart if you're going to do any fasting, would you do it under the guidance of your vet? You should. The yeah. answer to that is you really should. I Look, I think 
I guess if you look historically, it, it, so it comes back to dogs' natural physiology is um, if they were out in the wild, they would eat every couple of days. They don't eat every day. So it is normal for a dog. Cat's different, feed six plus times a day, don't starve a cat, doesn't match with their physiology. You've got a young, healthy dog, go and speak to the sheep farmers that had sheep dogs for many years and they would run them ragged on a Saturday and they'd all be chained chained up and I wouldn't recommend this either. But they chain them up and fast them on a Sunday. Like it just was their thing and they've yeah. done it for many years. So I guess I'm not I'm not super strict if you've got a healthy dog and you just want to incorporate it. But if you're doing it for a therapeutic reason, absolutely consult with an integrative vet. Even a general conventional general practitioner is not really going to I mean they're obviously going to know if the dog's fit and healthy and things like that but the whole concept of fasting I guess a little bit getting to a little bit of a controversial zone yeah, here aren't we yeah. with the whole fasting <laughs> we like, we, but I it, think, it is yeah it's interesting I think you and I kind of like the controversial zones don't we we uh we enjoy sticking our toe in the waters of controversy I know it will be like feed them a bone broth and then just put a bit of CBD oil in there while you're at it. <laughs> Go for it. Um, so I, I kind of feel like what we've discussed here could have easily been a person podcast. We we, we could have been discussing mm. the you know the causes, the impacts of uh, you know being overweight and then the treatment for being overweight. It's, it's been an, it's been an unbelievable as I said before, parallel, especially in the dog world, around what we can do, uh, obviously slightly different for our, our furry little cats. And, you know, given obviously a lot of the cats are kept indoors, it's an added challenge as well. But, mm-hmm. yeah, re- super interesting just the fact that we can, okay, well, you remove carbohydrates, you, um, you know, you, you increase the exercise, you feed them good stuff, maybe you mm-hmm. feed them a little bit less and you portion out their, their serving sizes a little bit differently and you keep them happy and healthy and lo and behold, all of a sudden your dog's probably back at, at its optimum weight. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, I guess that we're kind of like kind of wrapping up the recommendations and stuff like that. I think if you're wanting to do a really neat and easy weight loss for me, that probably I would use 90% of the time. Yeah. It would just be to remove carbs if you can, ideally, and just reduce the portion by 25%. Just reduce it by a quarter, aim to lose 1% to 2% of weight a week and increase exercise a bit. Usually just those simple and throw in a probiotic. Those simple things, 25% less, good probiotic, a bit more intense exercise and set realistic expectations, that really fixes most obese pets really it's it can be that simple and if that's not working for you then see your vet maybe run a thyroid panel maybe get more of a sophisticated diet assessment about it improve the mental health side of things but honestly that that initial strategy works for most pets it's it's doesn't have to be complicated or overwhelming and you can easily make those changes yourself at home and yeah. yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You don't have to come to the vet, but we do love seeing you. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, as you said before, let's reiterate that again. Cruise past your vet, chuck your uh, animal on the scales and see yeah. if there's someone there can do a little, uh, what's it called again, body condition score? Body condition score. And it doesn't count if, if the vet nurse gives your dog a dehydrated liver treat while you're in there. That does not count. So you're okay. <laughs> Bribery is very different to overfeeding. Oh. I say it to clients all the time. I'm like, now, just because we're having a lecture about obesity and I give your dog a treat doesn't count, yeah, right? Exactly. This is do different. as I say, not do as I do. I know, I know. But it does. I tell you who are the, um, the ones that are the main culprits for all of this, and this is modern life again. It's what we call the grandparents, so not grandparents, grandparents. There's lots of modern young couples that both work full time, got the dog with them, and they leave the, they drop off their grandchild to the parents, and their parents are just feeding love. So they're sitting down for their morning cup of tea, give the biscuit to the dog, biscuit to them. I know, just constantly all day, just these little treats here and there, and. They get home, like, and it's really, it's really hard because they've obviously got to be grateful for the babysitting. 
dog sitting, but it's it's a really challenging one. I I, I do struggle with that one a little bit um, because it's it's just love. It's so hard. You can't punish love. No, I mean, and it's far be it for me to cast aspersions over the dearly departed, but the late great Rodney James Manning, my father, he used to spoil my dogs rotten. <laughs> And he did it on the sly all the time. He wouldn't do it out in the open. He'd do it quietly. And and after a while, I just knew because they would go straight to him like, Dad, what are you, what are you feeding my dogs? Like, I'm not giving anything to your dogs. Like, yeah, you are. I can tell you are. So, yeah. yeah. And my, my, my general advice is to just um, give up a little bit on the grandparents, <laughs> the grandparents, and just reduce the portion size in the evening because you – You'll be, you'll get higher cortisol levels trying to change something that you probably can't change. Just think of it as like, okay, that's just going to be a light meal that night because, or no dinner because they've just been eating all day. That is amazing advice, Dr. Nicole Rouse. Uh, what a cool chat. What, uh, as I said, it was a heavy topic, but we did it in a light manner, didn't we? <laughs> <laughs> we did. We did. I hope it helps. It's so common. So I hope everyone just took a little bit of extra motivation or a tip out of that and something that they can put into action tomorrow. Just, uh, you know what, when you try, just take it in bite-sized chunks, you know, just bite-sized <laughs> digestible chunks to uh, add another pun in there as well. Uh, Dr. Nick, it's been an absolute pleasure discussing this with you and I've taken home some tips myself. I've been sitting here furiously writing notes that I can go home and apply to the chairman of the board when, when he faces me at the door and demanding more food at whatever time of day it is. So thank you so much. There was I really bet you are. Um, yeah. Pleasure. Pleasure. I, I can absolutely guarantee you, as soon as you walk in the door, you're going to pat him and feel his ribs. That's exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to give him his body condition if you want. Oh, Frank, mate. <laughs> We've got some work to do, old boy. <laughs> but, hey, that, that was great, Dr. Nick. Thank you so much. Um, another excellent one in the books, and I'm sure everyone listening out there in Listener Land is going to get heaps out of that. So tip of the cap to you. That was Dr. Nicole Rouse, founder, creative director of Shy Tiger and owner of Mont Albert Veterinary Surgery in Victoria. My name is Johnny Manning. This has been another episode of Pause and Listen. If you have... Any questions, uh, feel free to get on the Big Dog Pet Foods website. There is an enormous referenced section there with heaps of info. You can email the team at customercare at bigdogpetfoods.com. Dr. Nicole's on all the socials. You're even on TikTok, aren't you, Dr. Nick? I am. I am on TikTok. Hey. I've been doing that well in Atlanta. I need something else to go viral. What's going on? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Maybe you can collab on this, some of this, and that can go viral on uh Overweight. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you're on Instagram, <laughs> Facebook, and all the socials. And uh, whatever platform you're listening on, feel free to give us a five-star rating because I reckon this was another cracker chat. But look, have a great one. That's it from me and Dr. Nick for the time being. And you know what? Go and give your dog a body condition score and then give him a little, <laughs> go give him a little scratch and a pat from us. And we'll talk to you next time. Thanks, Johnny. See ya. Hey, thanks for listening to our podcast. For more information and content, visit the Big Dog Pet Foods website. Please note that the information discussed in these podcasts is general in nature and has been provided in good faith for educational and informational purposes only. The information provided is not, nor is it intended to be, a substitute for professional advice or care. If any of the topics discussed raise questions or concerns for you regarding the health of your pet, we recommend that you consult your veterinarian or trusted pet health provider for an individual assessment and advice. Thanks again. We'll see you next time.